This is the 92nd episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about the paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me is my dear co-host Christopher Wikström. Our third co-host Robinson Zian is currently lost to the woods. Hello everybody, I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the TopTech app. This week we will start our annual summer recording session as we will be a bit scattered throughout the country. Case in point, we do not have Robin with us here tonight. Our topic for tonight is, as always, some paper legacy play. Also, we will be discussing more of the Lord of the Rings set because, wow, the hype. First of all, Christopher, you have been playing some Magic Gathering. Tell our listeners and me what happened. So yeah, I played last Thursday and I tried, you know, an old goodie, which is Grixis Control. I decided to, you know, try some things out, try some of the new cards and just have fun with it. I hadn't gotten my order yet, so I, I only still owned two Bowmasters. So I thought I might as well just tweak Grixis a bit. And I saw this really sweet list that only played two uh, bowmasters just like if you close your eyes and think about the grixis control deck you know with some narset some strixes and stuff like that i decided to try snapcasters as did the list that i that i tried out two orcish bowmasters but then i i went a bit on the spicy route and i cut the jace the mind sculptor to put in the one ring yeah baby yeah yeah this card has been showing up a lot in Legacy, in a variety yep. of different decks. Everything from mid-range control to paradoxic... Uh, what is that? Paradoxic uh, engine. Uh, paradox yep. Yep. engine. Paradox engine. Just to draw so many cards. It seems crazy strong. If you know that you're going to draw cards and you're a Grixis deck that can't really gain life, I decided to also put in two shield red in the main deck so that whenever I get to draw a card, I gain two life. So that felt like a pretty sweet deal. Let's go into the games then. Sure, sure. My first round opponent was Blue and Green Pox. Blue and Green Pox? Yeah. No, man. Man, this is uh, this is me after a day of too much Diablo. It's Green and Black Pox. Still though. Yeah, no, that's like the... You know, you get some pretty sweet cards. You get Life from the Loam. And that might be one of the sole reasons to do it. But my opponent started, you know, they played a sphere of resistance in the main and stuff like that. Game one, my opponent just landed a sphere and I just kept on making land drops. Uh, They started uh, ghost quartering me, but being a Grixis control deck, you have a lot of basics. I managed to first squeeze in a Strix and then I managed to... In response to a wasteland, I got to dome them for two and destroy the sphere with a Colligan's command. Oh, Colligan's command! Yeah. That feels such a nostalgic card these days. Yeah, and I think together with the Snapcasters and Bowmasters, you know, being able to pick those up again, it seems really nasty. Imagine late game against the blue deck and they brainstorm. You Colligan's command, make them discard one, pick up Bowmaster, then you deploy your Bowmaster. Could be good. I managed to squeeze in the one ring on my turn then. And the card draw just won me the game straight up. Yep. And in game two, my opponent played one sphere and then a second sphere. And I just kept on making land drops. But eventually they ghost quartered me. And I floated a mana and got an opposition agent into play. Mm. 
like the beatdowns, they they started loaming a bit to get you know Mishra's factory or something like that to be able to block, but they didn't find it, and uh, I had so much removal in the deck, so eventually I just killed them. Did you play Fable, by the way, in this deck? No. My friend plays Fable in his Grixis control deck, and it seems really strong there. I could give a, a small rundown of the list if anyone would like to try something like this. So it's three Narset, four Baleful Strix, one Brazen Borrower, two Orcish Bowmasters, two Shieldred Apocalypse, two Snapcaster Mage. One, the One Ring, because, you know flavor of course and it's the one that my wife opened so it's a play what you got <laughs> four brainstorm one cling to dust and this was a big player four force of will two call against command four lightning bolt so i played zero fatal pushes with the snapcasters sometimes you just want to go face and bolt snap bolt is still strong <laughs> two minor misstep two sudden edict four pounder two Fotsies. No Fables and no Hiretsugu, which I was really high on. And I think that card is still very good. Yeah. But playing Snapcasters, you kind of, and, and Cling to Dust, you kind of want to keep your graveyard and not yep, yep, exile yep, yep, yep. it. The second round opponent was Jeskai Staff. Game one, you know, we do play a bit back and forth, but eventually my opponent resolves too much. Teferi is really hard to beat. Wandering Emperor is also pretty hard to beat as a Grixis control deck. Yeah, what do you have, really? Sort of snap, old snap? It's pretty rough <laughs> in, in that matchup. Especially game one, because you have a lot of cards that might not be what you're looking for. Going into game two, you have a lot of good sideboard cards. This is also a situation where the Cling to Dust really got to shine. And not because they have... A lot of good graveyard interaction but when both players are sticking narsets into play it's so good to have a mana sink on their turn to draw another card we ended up pretty early in the game i fought system like on turn three and took a force of will i saw a prismatic ending a teferi and something else like yeah a brainstorm <laughs> so i took the force of will <clears throat> and passed the turn and they fetched and played a brainstorm so I got to do the double crack uh, bowmasters knowing that I would get to shoot them for four and get five power into play so that felt like a pretty good deal I did just that and that was pretty crazy and it's also really annoying when they have a teferi you can't really deploy it on turn three after you've been bowmastered because if you bounce the bowmaster get to redeploy it and I have still have a 4-4, maybe a 5-5 five five if I replay it instantly. But if you bounce the Orc army, you draw a card so I get to ping the Teferi down and still have power in play. But anyways, I get a pretty quick clock. They untapped and Prismatic ending my Bowmaster. But I still got to hit them for a bunch and play a Snapcaster and, you know, just... Have a good time. So going into game three, we have a really nice land go, land go uh, beginning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I get to play, you know, some cantrips and stuff like that. And I'm stuck at three lands and my opponent is stuck at two. So I have fought system a bit and eventually they decide to cantrip. I don't have a bowmaster, but they find a land and they crack the fetch that they found. This is where I got to opposition agent my opponent. Both being stuck on lands 
and this is evil yeah and they're like a what can you say free cmc tribal deck so me me not only putting this annoying creature into play but also getting to not let them go into like up to free mana to play teferis or whatever my opponent dies with the two lands they had in play and one fetch a couple of turns later We've said it before, we're gonna see it again, Opposition Agent. It still feels underplayed, man. When it's good, it's just so brutal, man. So uh, going into round three, I play against Yorian deck. And this is a four-color Omnath Zenith deck that also plays two copies of the One Ring. Okay. Yeah, I could shortcut game one and two pretty easily by saying they had crazy grinding power with Uro, which already is quite scary for Grixis because how do you deal with that thing? I had one cling to dust. No, I mean, Uro is the reason Grixis isn't really a big thing anymore, right? Yeah, I think Uro is one really big reason. And Omnath has this really strange and scary synergy with the one ring. For for the listeners, which one of the eight Omnaths is this? So this is the four mana Omnath that on ETBs draw your card. When you play your first land drop, it, it's the triple landfall one where mm-hmm. yep. you, your first land drop, I think, gains you for life and your second one gives you all colors but black. And then the third one domes the opponent for four, maybe. Long story short, it's pretty scary to play against the deck where one fetch land after they have, you know, Zenith for Omnath or something like that, then playing one fetch land gains them life, puts them up to four mana which goes directly into either Uro or the One Ring or Teferi, like all Nightmare cards. I get severely outgrinded two games in a row and it was not pretty. So 2-1 and then I'm up against uh, a new player on, not, not in the meta, but it, no, not in our lo- local game store, but in the, in the legacy meta, which is the legendary Zenith build. Oh. And this is playing the Delighted Heart, uh, Halfling. Yeah, not Harpy. <laughs> harpy? Yeah, sorry, you know, old habits. The TLDR is that this is a 1-2 for 1 green that ta- either taps for a colorless or any color to a legendary spell. And that spell becomes uncounterable. So this deck is playing some really nice legendary spells, like uh, Minskenbu, especially. But also it played the free mana Nissa where when you landfall for the first time, I think you get to add a mana, and uh, the second landfall uh, reveals the top cards of your library until you hit an elf or elemental, and you just put it into your hand. So it's a nice way to find endurance or maybe some other elves. Who knows? They had uh, elvish reclaimers as well. Game one was a real spook fest because I have so much removal, and they have so many creatures. So we're just trading so much my snapcasters are insane but eventually we end up in a situation where i have uh, maybe 23 life and they can make a marit i've cantripped so much and i haven't found a strix because i really need to strix to buy time just to block but i can't find it for my life instead i deploy the one ring as you do and uh, i start drawing card first one then i took 20 damage in the air then I untapped and I drew two more cards because, you know, live fast, die young. My opponent eventually gets dead by the swing back and 
bolt end of turn snapcaster bolt. I don't find any any Strixes, but I have a cling to dust, so I had some, you know, maybe I can survive this somehow, but I managed to burn them out, which is really not what I expected. In game two, I got to remove all, I think they mold to f- like five or six, and I just have so much removal. I get to bolt their like turn one arbor, I get to play uh, like sudden edict on their halfling, and then they're stuck on mana, and I just get to, you know, do Grix's thing. I get to, you know, call against command. I get to Snapcaster. I get to get an opposition agent into play because they play Knight of the Reliquary and Reclaimer. So I just totally locked them down. So that felt really good. And at the end of the game, I have a hand with like free removal spells, Hydroblast and Two Forces. My opponent was like, I'm going to make you have it. They had a veil that I knew about because they tried to veil a sudden edict, which is not legal. They uh, played a Minskimbu with a green up. And I was just like, I'm gonna just let this resolve. A 4-4 hamster doesn't do anything on this board. So then I took my turn. I got to Hydroblast the Minsk. They veiled and I just decided to force the veil and kill them. So 3-1 with very nice iteration of Grixis. I think the one ring is very stupid and the ETB is more relevant than I thought. I thought that drawing a lot of cards would be crazy but when you get protection it's very hard for the opponent to kill you. So maybe in a deck like my round three opponent where they played the Yorion control Zenith plan where they just get to you know maybe Teferi bounce your one ring and just redeploy it and stuff like that can be really nasty. Yeah I'm thinking of putting the one ring and the delighted halfling into you know big man at 12 post Ooh. because like when you cast the eldrassi when they are un- uncomfortable of your cavalry souls that you play it's just so much better yeah <laughs> i think the one ring you don't have that many four drops in the deck and drawing cards is something that this deck would benefit from being a solid tier three deck at this point i think there's so much room for both of those cards and i guess that's uh that's our next segment but there there are some things that i think might be good in a shell that you mentioned if you have a, a deck like 12 post and you really need to you really need to just buy time sometimes you need to hide behind your opponent's clock just long enough for you to enter the point of no return for the opponent one example is just Playing Glacial Chasm, uh, playing the One Ring, you know, anything that just buys time until you get enough mana to just play one of your Haymakers. Yeah, nice segue indeed, because in our last episode I commented that it's nice to see a master set producing very playable but also not super overpowered cards. Since then, Orcish Bowmasters, The One Ring and Delighted Halfling all have been showing up most everywhere. I saw an online showcase challenge where Reanimator finished on first with three bowmasters in the sideboard so you know i don't know what's going on there but they won so something's going on and of course players are testing a bunch of other things as well so my question to you christopher was i too trigger happy 
to applaud what see here or um, are things as they should be? I do think that it's somewhat better. I, I, do, I do think that this set is somewhat better for constructed play, like Eternal Play, than let's say Modern Horizons 1 or 2, where not only did you have free to free plus great cards but there was just a variety of different really strong cards in those sets like renin 6 plague engineer there was a lot of really meta warping cards in those sets and this might be you know too soon to say you know with a lot of these cards just coming into legacy but think about compare this to modern horizons 2 where you had ragavan all of the elementals where I think only subtlety is the one that doesn't see that much play. Like yet. Yeah, yet, but think about one of the breakout decks recently, since Bowmasters became a card, is the Bug Scam deck that plays grief, like a full playset of griefs and reanimate. But now they just get to slot in for Bowmasters as well, which is very strong in a blue meta. So maybe this will disincentivize people to play blue. But if you play blue, you ha- you find these haymakers faster as well. Like you've seen in the these, you know, control mid-range decks playing the one ring. You just need to stabilize the board. You need to dig for appropriate answers in situations. So looking at what I think is the most playable cards from, from this set, I think this is a... Pretty, I, I still think this is a banger. There are some cards that, you know, wizards might have to keep an eye on, like Bowmasters and the One Ring. But there are also just some other really cool cards that I think starting to get people's attention now. Some of these cards, like we mentioned, the Lighted Halfling, it's not on its own, you know, too powerful. It's a creature that dice to bolt and can enable really nasty plays on turn three or four uh, maybe even two but i think looking at the bigger picture that kind of requires you to build your deck in a certain way as well if you really want to get all of the action from the lighted halfling it's a bit restrictive although not too much we also see cards like Call of the Ring, which is a one and a black enchantment that yeah, in the, upkeep, the ring tempts you, which is this sort of pseudo dungeon mechanic. But also, whenever you choose a creature as your ring bearer, you may pay two life. And if you do, you draw a card. So this is a pretty, pretty sweet engine for maybe go lean decks like Delver. Or I, I've even seen someone try a copy in Aluren instead of Sylvan Library because you have so many creatures to choose as a ring bearer. So getting those triggers is going to be pretty easy. But I think one of the shocker cards for me is from the Commander set, which is the Sorcery Fourth Eolendings. Eolendingers? Man. Erlingus. Error. Fourth. Yeah, Robin talked about it in the last episode. It's such a cool card and it's picking up speed everywhere. Because as people have been pointing out, this is a card that does something in the early game, but it's also really good in the late game. It's one of those cards that... Imagine that you're playing against a control deck as Delver and they have shown that they don't have removal for your turn one, Delver or Dragon Rage Handler. Playing this on two like x equals zero and just 
get the Monarch from turn two as a Delver player against Control, that's uh, really hard to deal with. Uh, this is the cheapest way in Magic to get Monarch, I think, besides stealing it, which is free. Yeah, you have a point there. But also just, you know, like Robin might have mentioned, you know, just having that mana dump spell in the late game. When Mystic Sanctuary got printed, we saw some people trying and treat the angels again, just to be able to make one early, maybe for two angels or something like that. And then Mystic Sanctuary it back and then make a giant entry it later. And I think this might be a very nice card to do something similar with. You don't get as big a creatures, but getting the Monarch and getting a lot of creatures in a control deck is maybe a direction to go in. There are so many nice things in this set. I mean, you have cards like... I mean, I don't think this is going to be a legacy playable card, but like it, it, I think it illustrates well the saga, One Ring to Rule Them All, which has chapter one, the ring tempts you, then each player mills cards equal to your ring bearer's power. That's, of course, meh. And for four mana, this is sort of not value enough. But then second chapter is destroy all non-legendary creatures. And third chapter is each opponent loses one life for each creature card in that player's graveyard. So, you know, not powerful enough for, for Legacy, I think, obviously. But like it has all these interesting cards that I sort of think amongst them, sort of out of 40 cards of this caliber, three or four of them are sure to make their way somehow into become interesting uses. And I think, or contrary to what we usually see, a magic set gets released, a couple of cards become interesting in the sort of existing archetypes. I think this set encourages you to build your decks in new ways. Again, case in point, I'm thinking of the one to put the one ring and the halfling in 12 post. That's a different way of building 12 post. I might probably want to add more creatures to that deck if that happens. And that could be great. I mean, people have been cutting maps for ages. And I think this set uh, does encourage that. But I'm going to ask you, because this is a discussion that we have always had. Could you tell me on top of the head what the Nazgul card does? So I know that there's there's this call a card called the Ring Wraiths, Ring Wraiths or something like that. You have the Lord of the Nazgul is one card. Is this the four mana, four mana creature? No. This is two in the black for a one-two creature, Wraith Knight. So one-two, death touch. When Nazgul enters the battlefield, the ring tempts you. Whenever the ring tempts you, put a plus one, plus one counter on each Wraith you control. And a deck can have up to nine cards named Nazgul. So you can build your Wraith deck with all the nine Nazguls (laughs) and have them just sort of build up and build up. I I saw on uh, social media that uh, Caleb from... um, Everyday Eternal is, is trying out this deck to sort of how do you make the Nazgul deck work, which I think is great. That is very funny. Yet again, like uh, one thing that this set did not really miss on for me is flavor. There's a lot of mechanics that are cheeky, but in a nice way. Yes, yes. There's, there's always this, your deck can have any number of this in them. Uh, like those rats and stuff mm-hmm. but here you have now you have to have you you can have up to nine you know one one thing that would be really funny is that someone actually have all of the nine uh, nascules in play and then they played the witch king of agmar <laughs> and then it becomes this you know uh, among us thing where they they're like hmm who's the imposter nascule because obviously they can't be 10 <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Well, so- someone commented on, on on their deck saying that, well, you play that card as well, so you technically have ten Nazgul in your deck. So you're gonna have to. So that's a flavor loss for you. And it's like, yeah, I know, working on it. I I really think this set is really great for brewers. Yes, because there's a lot of intricate and very weird you know synergies that just works together and my favorite synergy that i've seen is the samwise gamgee combo have you heard this i haven't so samwise gamgee is for a green and a white it's a legendary creature halfling peasant which maybe should be halfling gardener (laughs) anyways it's a two-two and it has whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control create a food token sacrifice free foods return target historic card from your graveyard to your hand the relevant part here is only the first the etb create a food token because there is a combo of course and this is together with uh, Visra Seer, which is uh, black mana 1-1 one, one vampire, I think. You can sacrifice a creature and scry one. And you, of course, place, play this with Alluren, Sweetheart, Cauldron Familiar. These three cards together just kills the opponent. It's a very hard <laughs> way to put together a free card combo. Like, compare this to... I don't know, show and tell omniscience or yeah. <laughs> maybe just Dark Ritual and Tomb Exhum. <laughs> Cephaly Delusionist and either Shuko or Nomads. Yeah, yeah. This is a very weird way to get all of those parts working. But it's still there. It exists yep. as a combo that you can play. In a Fiend Artisan deck where you just get to tutor the things that you really want. Maybe you can tutor away the cat to get Samwise. Whenever you play your next creature spell, you have access to the cat in instant speed when you need to. There are some things there. Maybe a collected company deck that's pretty suboptimal. But it's, you know, what I said, this is great for brewers because people can find a good way to make this work. And I'm strongly for it. And this is just, we have seen the first weeks of this set being legal. And I've seen, sure, the card that I thought would be the most played is Bowmasters. And that might be right. But I'm extremely shocked by how many copies of the One Ring I've seen, especially in those Paradox Engine decks, which I think is both inspiring but also very scary (laughs) another thing that i really like about this is that people are really happy playing these cards everyone loves to love this set and i think i'm happy that we're finally getting a sort of win like that people are enjoying these new cards even though they shake up things and i think that comes down to people you know, enjoying the Lord of the Rings because the the all these mechanics that you said. I mean, many of these mechanics are really shoehorned into the magic rules, and that's fine because apparently we do think flavor has value. I mean, if if Nazgul was like you know catacomb wraith, you can have nine of these in your deck. People would just be like, this is just strange, right? Yeah. Also, flavor win again for for the Nazgul card. By the way, it's card number one hundred. <laughs> in the set i don't think that's unintentional nah i think there's a lot of you know uh, like you mentioned uh, there's a lot of love already for the franchise uh, you know people either read the books or watch the movies and have some sort of connection to it and i think 
a lot of the cards really take people back to their experience watching the movie or reading the book. You see this in in so many of the cards, like Mithril Coat is one of these cards. When I first read it, I was like, yeah, but this doesn't really make sense for me. But then you look at the picture and it's probably Frodo flashing his Mithril Coat after getting stabbed. And the artifact is for free mana legendary flash indestructible and when it enters the battlefield you get to attach it to a legendary creature you control and that creature is indestructible like don't tell me if you hadn't read the books and you saw the first movie getting Hmm. getting stabbed by that massive troll you're like oh it's over for that shorty but then the reveal comes and this card kind of captures it and i think that's that's a, a theme throughout a lot of these cards and i think that's why people receive it so well because you can either just play the strong cards and there are some or you can just really have a fun time building a themed deck or adding cool cards for your commander deck or whatever yeah i was just gonna say commander is just gonna be you know having a field day with this can you play nine nazgul in your commander deck don't at me please yeah same i have no clue but i would guess yes i guess so lay l- layers and commander rules uh, we'll, we'll see if someone hits us up in our discord on that one so maybe like if you get to play one copy of each card because you get to play four in most constructed formats. Maybe if you get to play nine Nazgul, you get to play two and one quarter. Who knows? And that is all we have for this episode. Do you also hate the outdoors? You can stay inside with your keyboard and our Discord server. There's a link in this episode description. In there you can also discuss Kamul is the second named Nazgul. Which of all the non-canon names... Would you sort of prefer to be there, etc., etc.? You can find a link to all this key content in our episode description. We're also present personally on some social media. Christopher, where can our people find you? You can find me at MonolithMTG. And I am at DiscoDrog on Twitter. And that is the end of the 92nd episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thanks, Christopher Wikström, for being here tonight. I am Victor Bernhardt's special thanks to you for listening. The Great Furnace has, as always, written music. You can find more of their work on Spotify. And until our next episode, do check out the Tove Jansson illustrations for Bilbo for more premium Tolkien content.